0: This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today my guest is drummer, podcaster, and creator Joe Montague. After a few years playing with numerous theater shows like Beatlemania as well as other original projects touring all over the UK and Europe, Joe soon found his passion in faithfully recreating the music of the Beatles. Just for signing up to Joe's email list on his website, all you need is drums.com collaborators, artists, or any fan of the Beatles can access Joe's accurate and artfully recreated drum parts. He has become not only an expert in all things Ringo, but all things recorded and produced in the 1960s. In an effort to learn and better understand this passion, Joe started his own podcast in March of 2020 called That 60s Recording Podcast. To find out more about this episode and the over 300 episodes that we've done on Working Drummer Podcast, you can go to WorkingDrummer.net. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, as well as iTunes, where you can rate and review this podcast. This helps us grow. This helps us reach new listeners and put on a better podcast for you. So find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. We're also on Stitcher and Spotify. If you're interested in supporting what Zach and I have been doing here for over six years, you can find us on Patreon.com/slash working drummer for as little as a dollar per month. You have access to the educational material that we provide on our Patreon page provided by former guests. If Patreon isn't your thing, we have a PayPal button on our website, workingdrummer.net. You can go there and donate. We appreciate all the support over the years that we've gotten from you, our listeners. And we are excited about what 2021 is bringing to the table, and we hope you are too. So this was, once again, uh, a super fun interview, uh, very relaxed and just easy going. I was super excited to talk to Joe. Uh, How I discovered him was just uh, seeing him on Instagram. We get into a little bit of that, but his personality comes across uh, not only in his playing, his passion for all things Ringo, but um, just the way he presents his content, uh, just, I don't know, it just it, it just it attracted me to the way he did things, the honesty, the openness, and uh, in the conversation, I, I feel like that comes across very well. I do find it somewhat ironic that here's a young man that is passionate, about things that were recorded and produced in the 1960s and yet his ability to create content and reach a worldwide audience with what he does uh, through social media and through this modern technology and communication that we all have access to uh, is amazing. So the combination of the two, he's really tapped into something unique. Uh, he, he really is, is somewhat the poster child for the working drummer. Uh, he's found something that he really loves, and he's figured out uh, how to make a living from it and, and, and raise a young family. So uh, I really enjoyed uh, talking with Joe Montague. Uh, please check out his podcast, That 60s Recording Podcast, when you get a chance. Uh, he does a great job with that. It's really fun and enjoyable to listen to. So, But I hope you enjoyed this conversation I had with Joe Montague.
1: I'm in uh, Leeds, so it's yeah. um, the sort of north of England. If you were to look at England or well, Britain on a map, Leeds is kind of bang in the middle, um so it's not uh it's not officially north. If you were if you spoke to somebody from Newcastle, they would say that we're not north. <laughs> 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 um but yes, yeah, kind of smack bang in the middle of the island. And um I'm in a village just outside um sort of on the very outskirts of Leeds Postcodes. It's an ex-coal mining village that um that my wife grew up in, so we sort of settled here. And um uh, yeah and it's kind of nice to to be we're right out near the countryside but then also very near motorways so when when gigs were happening it's easy to travel about and uh, and get all over the country really Yeah It sounds remarkable man I mean it really does <laughs> It's cool it's um I mean it's a it's you know a discussion I've had many times but obviously when I I kind of finished music college everybody in who's in the UK wants to go to London and I grew up um not too far outside of London and that was always the sort of goal and then um you know I fortunately enough to have uh, sort of met my wife when we were teenagers and um you know we we were sort of in it for the long haul and you have to make some compromises and of course uh, um you know I I I very, not so much anymore, but especially when I was in sort of my early and mid twenties would get these sort of pangs of, of, ah, do I really need to get down to London? And then I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to attempt a London level of success, but in, in Leeds (laughs) and, you know, can't let a a silly thing like location stop you. (laughs) Yeah. And do you think that's a lot easier these days? Oh yeah, I would. I would certainly say that that's the case, especially. Um, I mean, especially with with remote working, but even right. before that, um, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, a reasonable network of people I knew um, in the sort of London scene, I suppose. It's tricky because you know the guys who are working on the West End and and doing the touring shows who were are living in London. Um, perhaps I didn't know as many as them as I as I could. But then it all gets down to um, sort of nitty gritties of what do you really want out of music and what do you want out of your your life? You know, do you want yes. to live in a in a box flat um, and? Uh, or or do you want to live in a house that you own and have a garden and some kids and uh you know that kind of stuff and all of that comes into account it's not just you know you know the reality is the sort of cool in inverted commas gigs they're just gigs and you know it's just uh it's so easy to look down people's facebook pages or instagram pages and and feel um envious of what they're doing but um you know the reality is a gig's just a gig isn't it and it you know you've, you've got to it's life at the end of the day <laughs> it's got very deep very quickly but <laughs> i don't know the scene too well in in the us but in you know england's so small and um you know the only difference i remember um there's a drummer here in the uk called ralph Salmins, who you you might know of um and he's uh he's a kind of been a bit of a mentor to me and I've had these discussions with him. And, you know, the, the gigs in London are the same as the gigs that, you know, are outside <laughs> outside of London. You know, everyone's still doing... Um, we call them functions. I'm not sure what you call them in Nashville. Um, but, you know, sort of weddings and parties yeah. and... Casuals, you know, I think. It yeah. Be, yeah. We're just sort of... Yeah, you know, everyone's doing those gigs, even if they don't want to admit they're doing those gigs. Um, and, you know, there's, there's like a, a scene of... Um, So, so you've got like the main touring theatre scene, um, and the West End, and then you've got a sort of sub scene of, um, of one nighters that go into, to theatres. Um, so they're sort of constantly touring, which is kind of what the Beatles show I play in is. And there's a lot of guys based out of London who are doing those shows, getting paid the same fees as, as the guys who are, are coming out of, you know, the North or wherever. And, um you know, we're all doing the same gigs and it's it's quite a small country, really. So I I think it's sort of, I mean, I would say it because I don't live there, but I think it's less important to live in London these days.
0: Well, one thing I wanted to say is uh, the the running joke in my my family is my wife always says, this is going to be great when we move to England, I become a chicken farmer. Because (laughs) it's like been her dream. No, we have have three chickens. Uh, One of them just died. But there's so much about living in the countryside that now appeals to me later in life where i think when i was (laughs) young and starry-eyed i'm like i got to move to this city or that city and do this and that now i look the grass is greener in that perspective like okay i've got to go out to the country so when i when i think about you know working remotely out in the country not having to worry about soundproofing everything and disturbing my neighbors by making a ton of noise and walking to the local coffee shop and not having to use a car as much. I mean, this just sounds amazing
1: <laughs> to it's me. It's great. I, I mean, honestly, like I, I walked to the studio this morning and I walked home this afternoon and it takes me 10 minutes. Oh my it, God. It's, it's incredible. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I, have, I don't, I dread to think how many miles I was doing probably about 20,000 a year yeah. and then COVID hits and I barely driven my car at all. I've probably done less than a thousand miles in the last year. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. There's a lot about this last year, and we've discussed it ad
0: nauseum uh, on the on the podcast about how people have managed, and there's been so much tragedy, and it's been such a such a loss uh, with with the pandemic. But well, there's no but to it. In addition, there are things that have come out of this that have kind of forced us to put a perspective on how we work, how we relate to. Our people, our family, our um, coworkers—you know how we make music, and uh, you know everybody and their brother is now has a home studio, and it's Mm. it's pretty cool. It's it's great, and and I'm no different. Definitely stepped up my game on that, and I'm having a blast doing it. And I've got some touring coming up starting in September, and I'm looking at that and you say a pang in your stomach i'm i'm feeling the same way i'm like i don't, <laughs> don't want to
1: leave I'm,
0: I'm enjoying this you know um,
1: that's it I, I put my kids to bed every night for the last year and uh you know previously it was maybe two nights a week three maybe if i'm lucky and um you know i, I don't know what's going to happen um i'm not sure what the, the state of play is here actually I'm, i've kind of given up thinking about it to be honest yeah um Oh, you know the the show I work for is the dates just keep getting pushed back, and I've no no doubt they're in there, but I don't, you know, I haven't even asked the question yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm enjoying watching my kids grow up and having just sort of experiencing what being a, a normal person is like for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and you have two daughters. I do, yeah. So one's four and one's eighteen months. That's amazing.
0: The perfect, yeah, perfect ages, man. My mine are boys are much much older and almost self-sustaining. So I think when I travel, it's not going to be as much, but I did travel too much when they were that age. And so bless you, man. That's, that's amazing. Does, does Brexit come into play looking to the future of touring? Maybe, uh, have you guys taken, have you toured in Europe as well?
1: Yeah, we don't, um, we don't tour in the traditional sense. We do fly out dates. Uh Um, and, um, I don't know. To be honest with you, um, I mean the. I would say the bread and butter of our work is UK, and okay. we seem to do a lot in an, in um, sort of the Far East or the Middle East. In fact, you know, um, United Arab Emirates and all that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, cool. yeah, because there's a lot of money over there, and they're obviously. Um, I think the tourist industry is pumping a lot of money into to building stuff up. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't. We, we do less sort of on the continent in Europe, yeah. but. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of guy, <laughs> um, and I think it will be fine. Okay. Um, you know, I I think that there might be some extra fees to pay or a couple of hoops to jump through, but um, the the people it's really going to hit is um, sort of low level touring acts. Um, I know that there's some issues with uh, backline hire guys, right? Um, and a lot of the um, I read something recently about a lot of the. Uh, bigger acts who tour um, from overseas—they come into London and hire all their gear, and then um, tour around Europe, which makes sense. Um, but now there's um, they're putting some restrictions or something on on how long the drivers can be in Europe for working. Um, so that's going to make some issues. Uh, so I think it's it's that kind of um, sort of original band touring. That's going to be a problem. I mean, we hire gear when we go out, so okay. we're not, tra- you know, we're not traveling with anything. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of in a transit van for four lads and a, and a driver driving around the UK, um, or girls, um, <laughs> then, you know, that could be that. I think that's the people that it's going to hit the most is, is where the margins are finest and they're, they're doing it. You know, they're trying to sort of build a career, um, touring Europe right. which I, you know I'm not really doing much of anymore. Okay. But okay. You know, I dread I dread to think what it what it would be like for them coming up now. You know, I was doing it sort of five, six years ago mm-hmm. and you know, we'd come away off those tours with maybe two or three thousand pounds, but it we'd be out for a month and that would pay for the next record. We'd all be doing it for the love. Um, right. they're right. so important.
0: Right, right. Your expenses were a lot lower back then, I'm
1: sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just heard a story about that not too long ago and how Elton John is kind of leading the charge and trying to uh, change some of the, the rules and the laws that, that help enable people to, to do that um, without as many fees. And it's like how it affects the entertainment industry. Uh, and and he was specific like he's like i can afford that i can do this but it's 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 the creatives it's the young people that are out there doing this on this level that it's just going to you know it's going to crush them so that was an interesting story yeah
1: well for every you know every big band that comes out of the uk there's there's hundreds and hundreds of others who are smaller yeah who um you know and they're i think that the the government in the uk without making it particularly political um but the government has um not recognized how important the music industry is in the uk and how deep it is um you know it, on face value there's a lot of big acts that have come out of the uk but there's a huge amount of roots in in the uk music scene that i think have been overlooked and somebody needs to draw their attention to it and uh, yeah good on elton john for doing that yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I can't think of any big bands that have come out of England, just maybe Herman and the Hermits. That's the only one that comes to mind, I
1: think. <laughs> <laughs> I should start a Herman and the Hermits tribute band there, yeah.
0: <laughs> Tell me about your studio, because I, I, it's interesting. I mean, it, it looks really cool, and it, I think there's a story behind the space, is there not?
1: Yeah, that absolutely is. So, um I'll I'll well I'll go, I'll go back to sort of the beginnings of it because I hope yeah. that um hopefully there'll be some people well as you said a lot of people are getting into sort of remote recording and I think it's interesting to hear sort of the journey of how I did it yeah, and of course. um well I say did it I'm still you know still sort of bu- <laughs> building it I'm not I wouldn't say I'm you know it's it's not one of those things like I've made it and I'm doing it <laughs> you know it's <laughs> just uh, it's just rolling along isn't it but anyway um so yeah I uh you know I was doing the same thing that a, a lot of people doing sort of teaching uh, we call it peripatetic in schools um and sort of doing a lot of uh, the the casual gigs as you call them you know weddings and that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. and, and then I joined the um the Beatles band that I work in and that was a that's a full-time job so that meant that I could stop all my other work um and I had a discussion with my wife this is about 5 years ago now um about it was actually her decision. She kind of said, um, "You know, look, if you're going to stop working, I'm not having you watching Netflix all day on the telly. Uh, you know, um, you, I want you to have a, you need to have a space that you is your space that you can go to, <laughs> and and do something productive." <laughs> yeah. Um, and we had some savings, so I I found a space and I kind of allocated a little bit of money, not a lot. Sort of, I think about two thousand pounds it was, uh, maybe not even that much. And I emailed a load of producer friends of mine and said, um, you know, if you had a thousand pounds, what microphones would you buy to set a, you know, to have a drum kit mic set up? Um, cause I didn't want to buy cheap mics I, and I didn't want to buy ludicrously expensive mics. I just wanted to know what the workhorse microphones are, um, in the industry. Um, and I sort of accumulated a list of these mics and there were a few crossovers. So I made some decisions. Um, and that was that. So I, I bought all these mics and sort of just splurged on a load of gear. Um, and the 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 studio I was first in was a shared space with a friend of mine, um, which was an old doctor's surgery um, out uh, about sort of 15 minute, 20 minute drive from where I, I live. Um, and that was the sort of beginnings of the remote recording thing. Um, and I'll... So then, after that, the uh, the relationship between the the chap I was subletting from and the landlord broke down. It was landlady actually broke down, and mm-hmm. and we had to leave. Um, and then I live in this is this coal mining village that I mentioned earlier, and they have um, one of the oldest brass bands in the country. I think it's um, might even be the oldest brass band in the world. I think they're two hundred and five. The records go back to oh two hundred and five years old. That's amazing. Yeah. And they have a feeling that it's even further back. Um, but the the 205 years is the first sort of written evidence, but the written evidence that's there sort of hints at the fact that it's already been around for a few years at that point. So, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so the band, the brass band have a little hut that they rehearse in and then they own a working men's club. Um, and the, the club has a flat upstairs that the person, the custodian of the club used to live in. Um, and they were paying extortionate tax on the, on the flat. Um, and it was just about the same time that I left this other place. And they said, uh, you know, I kind of said I'd, I'd need a, a space and they said, well, you can come and and have the living room of this flat.
0: <laughs> um,
1: that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's, a it had, um, sort of wallpapered walls. I think you can see on Instagram, they're like fake brick wallpaper. And then it had, um, like you know that click vinyl flooring you can get yeah. to a really shi- like pretend wood shiny floor, so it was a really bright room in comparison to my old space, um, and I was a bit um, sort of a bit taken aback by it to be honest because my ears had got used to what the old space was like and this was drastically different. Okay, uh, um, so I did some uh, you know built some acoustic panels and I got a sofa in there and some rugs and stuff and just tightened it up until I was happy with with how it sounded. And that's that's that. So I love the fact that my rent goes to help support the band um, and sort of keep it going. And you know, when I was growing up, uh, say growing up, sort of late teens, early twenties, I used to help the brass band out, playing drums for them occasionally, and and, uh, some general percussion. And um, it just feels like a nice family thing. You know, I love that sort of helping everybody out and doing something nice. They give, you know, my rent's not too expensive. And, um, you know, I just love it all. I think it's, it's just uh, really kind of them to let me use it. And, um, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, I can keep using it. And there's plenty of other space in the flat. And I'm hoping to sort of expand into the whole thing and, okay. and sort of create a bit of a hub there. So do they, I mean, they're using the, the flat part of the time or? Uh, no. So when I first moved in, there was, um, it was just me for a couple of months in the flat. And then, um, they have a, so it's a one, two, three bed flat and one of the bedrooms is storage, um, for their, but the, when the brass bands do competitions, they wear these like proper army uniforms. They, they look, look really snazzy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, they, they, so they have all of these uniforms and some spare instruments and stuff stored in one of the rooms. Um, the other two bedrooms are just empty, um, and after a couple of months, um, I was working in there one day and I heard some noises and I kind of went out to investigate and these two guys were moving in and they were a till repair company, you know, like, um, a shop till and bar tills and stuff, you know, like cash registers. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah. yeah so they sort of program in cash registers and they were moving all this massive, like, you know, these old cash registers and stuff up into the, um, up into these bedrooms I know the company's called Barry the Till, which I thought was just hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I kind of was like tentatively sort of said, you know, you do realise what I do here. (laughs) It's going to be quite noisy. Um, And they were lovely and we kind of, you know, they accommodated me and we sort of occasionally I'd have to ask them to turn the radio down and that kind of stuff, but... um, then sadly, at the beginning of COVID, the I think the company's not not happening anymore. So they oh, wow. they um, they've moved out. But kind of a it's sad, but it's also a win for me because it means that the um, the place is empty again now. And I yeah. was straight onto the chairman of the club and said, you know, when these guys are out, I'd like to be, you know, could you sort of hold the flat for me? Um, and at some stage, I'll take the whole rent on. Um, gotcha. You know, once yeah. So that's that's kind of where we're at now. That's so. Do you feel
0: like? having this space separate from home, because, you know, we're talking about home studios and people are moving into their spare bedroom, their basement, their other space. And, and there's always the challenge of neighbors and, and I'm sure you have a little bit of that as well, but then also just the family around and, and I have to kind of deal with that. I just bought some soundproof Stuff and, you know, some practice symbols if I want to play a little little bit longer. Uh, it, 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 I also have the challenge of, okay, I need to track this song, and I'm walking through, and my son needs something, or <laughs> there's something on TV, or I think I want a snack. And it just kind of keeps getting delayed and I mean I love it but it it keeps getting delayed and I'm thinking man if I could go because I hear about this where people like I I work for myself but I have an office space so I Mm -hmm. go when I leave the house my frame of mind is different do you have that when you are there like it's time to work it's time to do the thing
1: oh 100% I do yeah so um I when so we we've just moved house a few months ago but when i first got the um the original studio space i we couldn't have accommodated a studio at the old house um you know i'd actually sort of tentative, tentatively looked into um you you know using an electric kit and some slate Stephen slate samples and stuff to to just get a feel for the whole thing mm-hmm. um and then that very quickly escalated into i just need a space right um and i suppose the temptation when there isn't a lot of work in um especially at the beginning you know at the beginnings of all of it was to not um not be as productive as i could have been because you kind of go sometimes and i mean not so much now but especially in the early days you sort of turn up and you're like well what am i going to even do today you know i'm I'm here i could just practice for a bit and then you end up sort of looking on your phone for a bit and just you know not really doing an awful lot Mm -hmm. um And then for me, I kind of recognised that feeling in myself and began to um, try and find a a bit of a routine of what I would do. And then, you know, as gradually as work picked up, I don't really have time to even do the things I want to do there anymore. So there's always a bit of a backlog um, of stuff that I want to do. Yeah. Um, But I treat it very much like a work day. Um, You know, I have... Um, I have a bit of a routine of what I do I try not to go too early in the morning because I know if I'm in too early I'll be tired and will then procrastinate so I, I try to do my procrastinating at home and then <laughs> yeah. and then get to the studio um, you know the feeling like you arrive and you're thinking oh, I'll just make a coffee and then I'll just uh, I'll just check that email that I you know I, I, I noticed oh on the way here and um, you know, all of that kind of stuff's going on. So I just want to, you know, I spend a, a half an hour in the morning just doing all of that on my laptop and making sure that everything is out my head. So when I'm in the studio, I'm, I've just focused and, uh, I've, you know, usually got a track or two or three to work on and I have a routine that I do there. Um, and then, um, you know, if I've got some time, I might do half an hour sort of warming up and, a. Uh, you know some practice if in the loosest sense of the word um but you know something that's a bit something that i want to do as opposed sure. to just the track sure um but yeah i i really love having that space and also the fact that i'm paying rent on it um right means that I, I it's it's a bit of an added weight to on my shoulders that i have to use this space now um you know and i have to make it pay Uh, And I I kind of enjoy that pressure. You know, the rent's not so much that that I'm scared about paying it every month, but it's just enough that I'm thinking I need to to hustle a little bit. Right, right,
0: exactly. Was there anything proactively that you did to get to that place where you were doing more and more tracking?
1: Yeah, so at the... At the beginning of setting the studio up, it was more about um, being confident that I had a good sound. That's That was sort of my number one priority. Um, so we all we all know the sort of general setups that you can have in terms of mic positions and that kind of stuff. So I was, you know, I wanted to have a, an in-depth knowledge of what I was doing and, you know, become an expert in it as quickly as possible. So I would mess about with getting everything in phase and then seeing what out of phase sounded like mm-hmm. and um, then moving kick drums like by centimetres <laughs> and wow. then going and recording myself and then going back and moving it again and just doing all of that back and forth. And so I could accumulate knowledge of, oh, if I move the kick mic out a foot, it sounds a bit more, woof. and if I move it closer, it sounds a bit more good. And, uh, you know, just sort of, just sort of live in it a bit and get a feel for how it all fits together. Are there times when you're tracking
0: something and you're like, I have an idea for the kick drum sound, for example, that I want to go for, uh, and I know how to get it? So based yes. on Okay, so you're not just, I'm looking for the sweetest sound. I'm experimenting with mic placement and distance, uh, etc., to learn what my palette is. So that when I need it, I can go there.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely do. I mean, I so there's a lot of the guys who we see um, on uh, social media who are doing um, sort of the high high level kind of you know remote recording. Uh-huh. You know, Aaron Sterling and and Dan Bailey who you've just had on, um, and uh, and and other guys and uh, and Blair is another one that I follow and he's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um And a lot of those guys are changing out gear an, an awful lot. And that's something that I just don't do, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, yeah. I have... So the not only have I got a very kind of specific niche of, you know, the sound I have, which I think complements my playing style too. Okay. Um, But I also have the drums set up in a way that... I can change some specific parameters and get a sound without disturbing the mic setup too much. Sure. And um, so, you know, if you're if talking about a, a bass drum sound, my sort of spectrum of sounds is at the minute, there's some blankets in there and I will, if I'm going for like a big, big rocky kick drum sound, I'll just take the blankets out um, and I'll probably switch the beater out. So it's a, a wooden beater as opposed to, um, sort of felt beater that I use most of the time, and then maybe process it slightly different once it's in Logic, and there, there's a whole different sound there. Yeah. And then if I, I want a sort of tight '70s sound, I'll ram all of the um, all the blankets and stuff right up to that front head, and then maybe even put a cushion or something on the back head. So the drum is essentially the same drum. I'm just doing different things to. To manipulate the sound, and I've kind of got in my head an arsenal of stuff that I can reach for very quickly, and um, without messing with the phase and having to move a load of mics to get my kick drum out and put another kick drum in, and you know I've done all of that, and it's uh, it's hard work, <laughs> and it's not con- right. not conducive right. to running a good business, you know, right? And you know, it's an, so a couple of takeaways from that that I find interesting
0: is that. Uh, in the time this, as we're all doing a lot more recording, is becoming really familiar with your gear and kind of educating yourself to why you have all these snare drums and <laughs> yeah. different ride cymbals. So that you kind of have this catalog in your brain, because there's times, I mean, before years ago when I'd go to a studio to do a session and they're like, okay, let's start a new song. And I'm thinking, what kind of, what snare drum do I need for this? And I would just kind of guess. I'm like, maybe this, I mean, some stuff was obvious, you know, a big thuddy or something bright and high or whatever, but some stuff I, I was switching out snare drums just just to switch them out because I've been using the same snare drum for three tracks, and I'm like, no, that's not how you do it. You're supposed to use a different, you know. Um, but yeah. but now I I think just uh, you know Tommy Igo talked about years ago. You know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be recording all the time, and and one of the advantages to that is we're becoming familiar with our sounds. The other thing is um, Ash Zone is a great example of somebody that has his setup and it's it looks crazy, but he's like at the core of this is a four-piece kit, but as opposed to having to rearrange things, I've got a pedal moving, you know, going over to the second bass drum that's tuned differently. Again, it's workflow. You're moving from song to song. And you know, a lot of times when we send raw stems or raw tracks to people, they're gonna do whatever they're gonna do to it anyways. Mm depending on the style you know um but that 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 may be I, i don't know that may be out of turn to say because something that 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 i think is is really great that you bring to the table is you bring uh your your sounds and your quality of recording but you also bring a certain tonality that uh is is bringing people to you and say look i've got this dialed in i've got this sound so my guess is that what you're doing isn't uh, something that people are going to be like. Oh, well, I'm just going to sample everything you've given me, anyways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be honest, there's a little bit of that. And when I first, um, when I first started doing uh, the sort of "All You Need Is Drums" thing, mm-hmm. um, I was really quite wary of it because I, you know, I do some sort of alternative pop recordings. There's producers that I, I, I work with regularly. Um, and that's a lot of programming and um, like sample replacement essentially and coming up with, um, albeit most of the time, sort of organic ways of getting electronic sounds. And it's very not Beatles at all, but it's Beatles influenced in the sense that it's it's got to be for the song, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very wary of, of alienating that sort of client base I had um, when I set up All You Need Is Drums. Um, but you know it's it's a uh, i try to leave options um in the way that i deliver stems and the way that i tune things but then i guess the longer i've been doing it the more conviction i have about my own ideas and the more i'm happy to commit and you know if somebody there's been a, so much discussion before I've even recorded the track that I know where you know I know what I'm going to deliver to them is is going to be along the lines of what they're expecting if if that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um I've been inundated with people asking for advice on how to set up remote recording stuff. <laughs> um and knowing your gear is is really it and that's yeah. you know it's knowing it's knowing inside out what a particular snare drum is capable of. Um you know I have I have 3 snare drums up like within reach at any point and they are um they're all Ludwig's it's a jazz festival a, a Ludwig Aqualite and a Chrome on Brass um 400 and they pretty much cover everything that I ever need. Yeah. Um you know I have some others that, that are a bit more um unique sounding um in, in case but I know instantly you know, this is a a rocky track. I'm going to use the acrylite and I'm going to take all the dampening off and make it sound really bright and and you know happening. Or you know, I know the acrylite can tune really low and have a real nice big fat sound. Mm-hmm. So I sort of you hear the sound that you want to get and instantly know where to get it from without even thinking about it. It's just because you're just there on your own. You just do it automatically. Right. Um, and The same goes for cymbals and the same goes for sort of effects. Um, you know, if you want a particular shaker sound or a particular tambourine or lend itself to that track, or you know that snare drum just needs something else, big it up a little bit um ah oh, i you know I know exactly the thing that's in this little box that I can hit this thing with and it gets a you know gets that good sound and I think that's the that's the fun thing to play around with on your own is making loops and making experimenting with sounds and then as you start to accumulate work. You're not having to struggle for sounds; they're just there at your fingertips all the time, and you're you can let your creativity take over as opposed to um, your sort of technical ability.
0: And then, that, and that's another that's another skill alone that people are coming to you for your expertise. Uh, even uh, Kip Allen is another former guest that we had, and he s- talks about spending some of his practice, quote unquote, practice time creating loops, experimenting with sounds, whether it's with processing or tuning drums different ways. So that when the client brings something to the table, he's like, oh, I know it. I, I, I got the the thing that that you're going to need. Yeah, and so not only percentage. are they coming to you for your performance and as a drummer, and we're kind of hardwired to, you know, practice and make sure that we can play all these different things. Are you educating your mind, your ear, to be able to Ooh, deliver um, to pro- to to provide that service as well, that's a big component.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I, I I did some of that through um, through ex- sort of experience, um, and then some of it was through, like you've said, just sort of going for an idea and and trying trying to find you know going you know I want to get that that Bonham sound you know classic sort of drum sound, and then you go you experiment with how to get that. And then, you know, wouldn't it be cool in the old space I had, there was a corridor that was um, the really sort of boomy corridor. And I thought, how cool would it be to try and put a, a microphone in that corridor and just see what it sounded like? And it was for no reason other than I was just curious. Yeah, um, And that's what, you know, the more you don't learn about this stuff instantly, it's all experience. Um and in fact one of the biggest lessons that I had was moving studio as as I already described the room was a lot brighter and I'd got so accustomed to that first space I was working in suddenly it was like whoa this is this is way different I guess the room does matter <laughs> um, and then I then I had a choice you know how bright do I want this room you know how much do I tighten it up and and I would you know suddenly I wasn't restricted it was more just what do I want and I had to think about that and that was quite nice so in a sense I learned from moving um sort of that that added to my experience and you know my knowledge of room sounds got got better yeah um uh, something I I think it it might be important to touch on is you asked earlier about how I sort of went to how I got some clients essentially. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that sort of linked into, it links into this. Um, the first thing I did when I, so I moved to studio in, in the September. I got in, I got my first studio space. And um, then uh, I started doing all this experimenting with sounds and all that kind of stuff between September and Christmas. And then the Jan- the following January, I gave away drum sessions for a whole month um, I sponsored some posts on Instagram that just said free drums basically <laughs> um, get in touch and um, I remember my heart was pounding when I got that first one through of like somebody I don't even know um, has <laughs> yeah. emailed me and uh, and I, I think I did about 50 or 60 tracks that month whoa um, you know, all for free, yeah. all complete, yeah, completely free. And your wife and is that, going, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was like, Tru- "Please trust me, trust me." This is, you know, f- five years time. This will be a living. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was it. You know, suddenly I was just being bombarded with all manner of different things, Um and it made that made me sort my shit out. Basically, I had, you know, I had to find uh I had to get a template on logic which I'd never even thought about before. Right. Um right. how do you how do you bounce stems out for people what sort of stems <laughs> do they want how all everything I needed to do and I thought well this is okay because I'm giving it away for free so I'm learning they're getting some drums that if they don't even like them they're free so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um and that was the uh and I did that for the next 2 years as well so the following 2 years after that. Um and that's kind of how I Not only built the business, but also um, gained sort of really valuable experience for myself. Did you
0: establish relationships with some of these people and have you know when when it came time to start charging, they're like, "Oh yeah, well we're on board, Joe. You're the you're the guy."
1: Yeah, yeah. uh, I think I, I struggle to remember specifically now, but that's basically it. So it kind of went from that. And then a couple of them in the February after that first January would come back to me and say like, you know, oh hey man, I've got another track for you to play on, and and I'd kind of go, all right, well I'll do it for fifty quid, and they'd yeah. be like, yeah yeah cool, um, and then suddenly you're you're sort of getting these tiny scraps of money in, yeah, um, and then um, somebody that you don't know who has come from a recommendation from one of them yeah. has comes to you and says, you know, we want you to play drum, we want you to play drums on this song. And then you kind of in name your price territory because you're like, all oh, right, you you want me. Um, right. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, right, so, and then I'm sort of evaluating in my head. So you've got four tracks, um, maybe, I don't know, 200 pounds, 250. How does that sound? <laughs> um, and it's so it's the same as gigging, isn't it? You know, you do your yeah. first sort of yeah. few gigs for free and then you play down the pub for 25 quid and then it just sort of gradually creeps up and up and up
0: yeah it 's interesting my co host Zach talked about this with with another one of uh, another interview It's just like how there 's this new territory we 're getting into and we 're kind of starting back to that space when we were uh, you know playing live and how how do we get into that and it just for some of us it seems so long ago you know yeah like, oh, I, well, I just need some experience some exposure and uh, you know, we're kind of, it's, it's, we're kind of starting over, uh, not all of us, but, but some of us, you know, in recent years are, are starting over in the remote tracking world, you know, and how, how do we go about doing that and, and how do we move our price up as our experience is. So
1: we don't kind of get in this arrested development
0: of, of income,
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, it's an interesting uh, situation because when you're, you know, when you're in your late teens, early twenties, you're quite willing to work for free or very little mm-hmm. because you're just doing it for fun. Right? Um, you know, the, the prospect of doing it for a living is kind of, you know, it's a few years down the line, but you don't really know what it's going to look like. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then as established professionals, you're having to... It's a different industry, in a sense. You know, the live and the recording industry, are, they're almost completely separate. And you've got to let go of your ego and say, right, well, I'd, I'm going to have to start working for free, or very little, and get my chops up, your recording chops. Yeah. Um, you know, playing-wise, it's enormously different playing in the studio to live. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, you have to... You've, you, you know, the... the it basically let go of your ego and start start afresh as you've said and be willing to work for not very much you know the sort of mentality of well i'm only going to charge five hundred dollars because that's what i get for gigs that, it doesn't wash you know people don't have that money for a start mm-hmm. you know singer songwriters can't can't book, book you on an album for five hundred dollars a track um you know it just doesn't it doesn't exist well it might it might exist <laughs> a very small small portion of it but you know, it's here in the UK, certainly it's not. It's Con- not like
0: consistently, that. Consistently, consistently, it 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 doesn't exist. That, that I <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, when we first got on the phone, I, I wanted to bring this up, and uh, I think now's a good time. Is uh, just social media and stuff like that, and, and for all its uh, faults and everything like that, it's it, it it's it, it's a thing. And it's, it's, a, it's almost a necessary evil, and, and how to deal with it and how to make it work for you has is, is always been a mystery, uh, even—and then on top of it, it's evolving constantly. But uh, you reached out to me, and, and, and I'm like, I, Joe, I know who you are. Like, I already know you, <laughs> you know, because— I, as I scroll through my Instagram feed, I have so many drummer things and a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't know. There's so much stuff on there that I, I don't even want to listen to it. it. just It looks too much. It's just too yeah. much. And it's like, I know it's great. I see drum acrobatics. Uh, it's, it's really, your technique is amazing. The skill set is amazing, but I can't do anything with that. I, I, I can't apply that to my life. I can't, um, you know, I may geek out from time to time. Um, but there's nothing that does, it doesn't do anything for me when I (laughs) see people tracking or doing certain things, getting certain sounds or playing certain things, I'm like, I, I want to hear this. I want to know. I want to learn from it. I want to grow from it. And and you, uh, even just seeing it, I'm like, I have to hear this. Because not only, like, okay, he's, he's pushing this idea of getting a, a Ringo sound, uh, you know, tonality, uh, feel, different things like that. So that already piques my interest. And uh, hearing you play music along with you you know it's like this works too it's like this is cool okay this guy is is doing some cool things you know on top of on top of it you just your just your your warm personality is is, is, is very welcoming in and just kind of a very like noisy uh, world so I appreciate that as a side note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh thanks so much yeah. man! I, yeah thank you <laughs> um but drumming wise
0: um i that's you caught my attention right off the bat it's like man i really love this guy's approach is his drum tuning um and uh and the the studio environment was really cool too so there were all those things so when you reached out to me uh, i was like joe I, I i dude i've i've been watching you i i, I know <laughs> i know
1: who you are and i think what Man, when you said that, I was like, what? <laughs> Hold on. <clears throat> this podcast that I listen to and interview some like ridiculous drummers knows who I am, as if. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Part of it is my own taste. But, but a big part of it is,
0: what can I take away from this to grow and learn as a drummer and musician? Um, when I see things, when I'm wasting time on social media... Uh, Because I want to learn. I want to get better. I want to, you know, and I want to serve the song. I want to serve music. I want to be busy as a drummer, as a working drummer. And that means working with other musicians, with songwriters, with producers, with engineers. It's not working for other drummers I'm not trying to be a clinician. There's no way in hell I could ever be one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you hear <and> me both. <laughs> um,
0: I want to work with other musicians and other songwriters. And so when I see drummers do that kind of thing, I'm like, yes, I need to dial into that.
1: It's um, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? And uh, I, oh, I mean, social media is, is a... It's it's multifaceted. You know, I can remember uploading my first ever drum video on onto Instagram and how nervous I felt and it took me uh took me so like tens of takes to get the one that I was happy with and I over analyzed it and I um you know, you, I'd watch it back and be like, Is it is it right? Is it right? You know, what are people thinking? And then if, if somebody of note or that I you know, of note to me liked the post, I'd be thinking, like, Oh shit, what do they think about it? What do they think about it? Um and it's a it's a really interesting thing. I mean, as as you've probably guessed, I, I think about things an awful lot. Everything mm-hmm. that I'm I put online is is incredibly well thought through. You know, I don't um I, yeah, it's it's uh, it's all a decision that I've made. Um and there were a few um my my sort of Joe so I've got two Instagram accounts. My Joe Montague Instagram account is just that was that's always just ticked along for years. Um, nothing really happened particularly. There's not really any aim with that one. And then it all changed for me when I decided to to do the all you need is drums thing. Mm-hmm. And I um, I decided. I, I mean, I would do the the sort of watching of other people on my newsfeed and um, or whatever they call it on Instagram now, and sort of get that that um, feeling of. I mean, what is it? It's kind of like an envy feeling, isn't it? Or something. I I don't know how to describe it, but we all get it. It's like a cloudy head of, of, you know, I want to be able to do that. (laughs) Um, It's not a pleasant feeling, particularly, um, but it's a very human feeling. And I wanted to be a bit of an antidote to that. Um, And just, Mm -hmm. you know, I think as I came into my sort of late 20s and early 30s and really just became confident as is, is who I am and who I'm not going to be. And then was able to let go of all of that and just say, do you know what I do just do staring on the, on brushes on the snare drum. That's what I did today. And I'm going to put it on Instagram because that's, that's, that's the honest truth of what I've done today. You know, I'm, there's no point in me um, filming myself playing some sort of like big chopsy fest thing, because that's, that's not true. Um, And I wanted to, I think honesty is, is a big part of what I tried to put across on, on social media. And I'm not trying to live up to anyone's expectations. I'm not trying to do anything that isn't a a fully accurate representation of, of who I am as a person and what I do for my living. You know, I'm not trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. You know, the, the Instagram is just, it's got to be true for, for it to be believable, I think. Um, and that was a, a huge thing for me and, you know, I make a conscious effort to, um, I mean, this is, it's quite nerdy and it I might be interesting for people, I suppose, but I've got like a set routine of things that I do. So if you, if you look back at my account, you'll notice that um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a pattern you know? and I made a decision to sort of do my talk to camera every Monday and you know I do I do my isolated drums every Tuesday, and then on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it's usually a session video of some description, and it's quite quite thought out what I'm doing. Um, but uh, something that um, you know I'm very grateful for that people seem to tell me a lot is is sort of what you've said about. Um, I'm, it feels awkward saying it, but being a nice person and sort of coming across as a nice person. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. You know that's what I. I wanted to do that, you know. I'm, you know, I like to think I'm quite generous, and I I want to be. You said you talked about serving people. I want to serve people. You know, I want to, I want to inspire people to to be able to do things and to not have those feelings that I I had, and just say, you know, just do your thing, man. Like share what you want to share. And don't worry too much about what anyone else is doing. Um, yeah. And a, a very good example of that actually happened recently. Um. Where um, so I send these these stems out every Tuesday of Beatles songs that I've re-recorded yeah, yeah. Um, and a uh, a drummer who plays drums in the tornadoes um, got in touch and it was the song was I feel fine um the Beatles song mm-hmm. and I'd been playing it wrong and I think what happened was I learned it five six years ago for, for the show I work for and just didn't give it a second's thought. After that, I just that was it. I, you know, it was in my head and and just off it goes. And then he pointed out after I'd shared it that I'd done it wrong, and I thought, you know, I had that feeling of like, oh no, what am I going to do now? This is embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and then I just thought, do you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to show sort of real stuff. <laughs> you know, this right. is this is it. You know, yeah. how I could just sort of quietly amend the stems on my Dropbox and not say anything. Or I could just go on Instagram and be like, "Hey guys, I I'm professing to be like this this knowledge of Dringo, and I got this wrong." <laughs> right. There we go. Right, <laughs> what right. what what can I do? I'm a human. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So, well, I, I thought I just thought, you know, I even discussed it with my wife, and she was like, "Nah, you can't do that. You can't go online and tell people that you got it wrong." <laughs> I, just, I just thought, no, I'm just gonna do that, and that you know, I think it was quite a. I think it was, a, you know, I hope it was a bold move, and I, I want, I want that to be what my Instagram output is. You know, it's, it's. Um, I don't want anyone to ever look at what I do and have that same feeling that I got looking at other drummers. You know, I want them to, to feel like it's a community. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm doing, and it's a discussion. It's not. Here's what I can do better than you can do. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's. In, hopefully, it's inspiring more than anything. So when lockdown first started last March, um, there was definitely, you know, I could no longer, one of my routines was posting the gigs that I was doing. So the the picture of the auditorium I was playing in and that disappeared, you know, there was nothing to post there anymore. Um, and then you kind of think, well, let's do, let's do some Beatles stuff and come up, you know, there's so many, if you're searching around, around for things to post on social media, you can you know, rather than just posting a video of you playing or some sort of drum cover, you know, just try and find something that you enjoy doing and, and, and sort of lean into that. And that should open up a whole avenue of, of interesting content that you could post, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, leaning into the whole Ringo thing. Yeah. It was, it's like the whole, the, like the, when that idea came about, it scared the living daylights out of me, if I'm honest. Um, Because, you know, I was scared of, of being too niche and, and losing work. But then at the same time, my ideas were just like coming into my head thick and fast. And I knew that I'd hit a rich seam of, of something. Because it was exciting to me. Yeah. You know, I love Ringo. And I was like, this is a great idea. Because like I can send stems out every week, and then I can maybe do a, a Ringo sample pack. And I can and my head was like exploding with ideas. Um, because because I sort of hit this this golden nugget of like something I love doing that I I can just do a lot of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, can we talk about
0: the the, the isolated drum thing that you put out? Every this was yeah. part of it, and I think you started back in March. Yes, so right at yeah, the beginning yeah. of kind of shutdown, uh, almost a year ago.
1: Yeah. So the the sort of um, the catalyst in it was. Uh, so when I, I first set up, a, all you need is drums, and I wanted to um, give something to people in exchange for an email address um, on my website. Um, so I recorded uh, "Hello Goodbye," um, which is one of my favorite Beatles songs to play, um, and then I put it on my Dropbox and just sort of left it there for for people to to have for you know just to as an example of what I can do. Um, and then a friend of mine in Germany. Um, starting a YouTube channel for um, re- uh, George Harrison's guitar solos, so he would recreate the the Harrison solo, um, right. and he asked me if I would just record the solos of f- about fifteen songs, and uh, he may he may well listen to this, um, <laughs> and I I thought sort of, at first I you know I said I'd do it, and then the the classic thing of like you say you'll do it, and then you know, within the two weeks it takes for him to reply, get really busy. And then the email comes through and you're like, oh yeah, I said I'd do that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um And I kind of, I had a little bit of regret and then I was like, oh no, actually I this is good. This is really good. Cause I can, and you know, I was left with, uh I thought rather than doing the solo, I'm just going to do the whole song for all 15 songs. And I'm not just going to do them. Okay. I'm going to do them perfectly. I'm going to Get every tiny little detail on on the song and I'm gonna write it down on Sibelius and, and sort of notate it. Um and then I was left with these 15 songs and I was just thinking, what can I what can I do with these now? Um and I just thought it would be kind of cool to to give it away to people um to use. And they were all recorded to click, so they could be chopped up and sampled and right. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um so then I set up this mailing list. And I thought I'll do fortnightly. And then I've got about four months worth of, of stems to, to, to get me through or maybe 15, six months, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, a long time. (laughs) Um, and I thought that's sort of, it's a bit of a build, a backlog, isn't it? In case I, I sort of lose interest in it for a a bit. (laughs) Um, and then I was found myself doing it, you know, uh, transcribing the songs faster than I was sending them out. So I started doing it every week. Um, and then it's just escalated that i mean that was the the biggest the biggest thing i i have done that's contributed towards me having a business now okay um by by a a long shot you know it's um i can remember get i used to get notifications on my phone when someone signed up to the mailing list and i remember getting the first sort of two or three it was about a day after i sponsored a post on instagram and i was really excited um, and then suddenly it got too many and i, I had to stop the notifications because it was getting silly um and then you know I've got about fifteen hundred now um and I just was i just can't believe um I just can't believe it and i i I'm happy for people to have them and just use them and do whatever they want with them it's it's completely fine um and I think that that sort of you know I get emails from people saying yeah, I can't believe what that you're giving these away for free. It's so generous of you, you know, and all that kind of thing. And I just think that's it's fine. You know, I I absolutely love doing it. And if it, you know, if uh, if ten people of those fifteen hundred people book me, <laughs> then then it was worth it. You know, <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, it's interesting because you know we we talk about like
0: underselling yourself or you know not asking for enough money or money for certain types of. Recordings or performances, and kind of where you strike that balance in trying to start to work more, start to record more, play live more, and and it's it's a constant it's a constant balance. But again, this goes back to we're kind of with with home recording, and 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 we're kind of starting from scratch again, and and you're building your business, and you have to. Um, you have to spend money to make money and time is money and you're taking your time to do this and you're giving this away. So you're you're kind of spending some money, you're spending some energy and and this and that. No, the the fact that you're not just taking money out of your pocket, but you're actually doing something that you enjoy and you have experience in, uh, is it sounds like a win win for sure.
1: I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I have a lot of conversations uh, you know about this kind of thing with people, and and something that surprises me is when I give advice to somebody who's asking for it, and I see them actively follow the advice for a short space of time, and then they stop doing whatever it was that they were doing, and the or there's some some reason why they can't continue doing it. Um, money is a is a big factor in it. it. I mean, it really it does cost me money to do this. You know, I, I pay for a website, I pay to have. The mailing list go out every week, um, and I I do spend time on it, and I I have to pay for Sibelius so I can I can write down the the uh, the notes. Mm-hmm. I have to I you know I pay for particular bits of gear so I can get the sounds, and it's it's it is speculating to accumulate to an extent, um, but you can't use. I think if you if you do, if it's done right, you can't use money as an excuse for something you know if you're always scared of spending a little bit of money then you're forever going to be stuck on on this ceiling unless you're you know very clever with the way that you do certain Mm -hmm, things mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong i'm not talking a lot of money but you know when i first set up my podcast i got a premium account on the hosting website and it cost me about 150 quid to get set up for podcasting and that was at a time when all of my work had just all my live work had just stopped and i had barely any money we were we were you know contemplating how we might pay the mortgage over the next few months and i'm telling my wife i want to spend 150 quid starting a podcast and um sponsoring ads on on instagram um and yeah it it felt odd but if i hadn't done all of those things i wouldn't be earning now mm-hmm. and you know i think um I think a lot of people are, are very, they are scared to um, to sort of commit themselves to, to something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I see a lot of the opposite where, I'm sure we all see it, that drummers who've just sponsored a post on Instagram that says, you know, book me for a remote session. And, you know, why? Why would anyone book you? You know, what do you do? That's not not, not to be rude. <laughs> it's to be, you know, like, if I personally don't sponsor anything that says, Book me for a remote session. My sponsored posts are uh, have have this Beatles stuff for free. Um but I if if I was to sponsor a, a particular post saying that, the the answer is there in that you know what you're getting with with me. It's a you know a very specific sound with a, a specific feel, and they're all the reasons why you might want to consider booking me. Yeah. Um you know, not just you know, and if I had sponsored it under Joe Montague everyone's going to be like, who's Joe Montague? Why would, why would I want him to play on my song? I don't know who you are. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a, yeah, it sounds pretty, I feel quite callous when I'm talking about it like that, but that's the the reality of of what it is. You've got to think quite hard about the way that you do things and not right. be scared to invest, um, invest correctly. You know, I've spent a lot of money. I had, I've you know, I've had, uh, I've had business coaching to try and get a handle on how on earth you go to, Creating a business and that was a lot of money, but it was money well spent, and I, I I'm very pleased that I did it.
0: Too Let's blimp all the foreigners new, technology. But all we need
1: is a new conspiracy
0: What are some core concepts that define the Ringo sound? Grooves, tunings, fills, compositional approaches.
1: Buzzwords would be solid for the song and simple. That's probably the the sort of main key points. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, if I was to expand on it slightly, I would say that it. It varies throughout the um, the sort of short period of time that the Beatles existed. Um, oh yeah. So one of you know one of the things that interests me and and lots of people you know uh, a lot about the Beatles is obviously it was a very um, small period of time that they existed for eight years, and they changed drastically in that time, and Ringo's playing is no exception. Um, so the first first two three albums there's definitely a, a sound and it's a sound that is uh, what you'd imagine coming out of a the club circuit that they were playing you know it's um very simple driving beats and um, with a lot of swing to them and very loud you know his hi-hats are, are that classic sort of washy sound mm-hmm. um a lot of the time and his fills there's one specific fill that he does that you can hear in um, Saw Her Standing There and it's in Twist and Shout and it's in, I mean, it's in tons of songs. It's the, the um, <laughs> if I could get my words out right. <laughs> um, and uh, he does that fill an awful lot and it's clear that the way he's playing is is just informed by live, um, I, you know, as is a lot of the songs that they're doing. And they, they're just, they're performing them live in the studio and they're just, blasting them out and then you know short amount of time being taken on them and then you get to help and hard day's night and the chain the the sound progresses even more and it becomes less noisy still quite a consistent beat the snare tunings are are on the higher side the tom tunings are on the higher side and we've still got like an open sound um, haven't got to that that dead sound that everybody mm-hmm. associates with Ringo. Right. Um, it's quite an open sound and the kick drums are an open sound. There's there's not nothing in the kick drum yet. Um, and he's using a smaller kit. You know, he's got a 20-inch kick drum and a 12 and a 14 um, toms. Mm-hmm. And so everything's a bit higher pitched um, and the percussion is very... If you listen to those albums, you'll notice that the percussion is very similar on a lot of the songs you know um Hard Days Night particularly has an awful lot of cowbell on it and you know they clearly were in they found uh, found something that worked and did it a lot on the songs on each album mm-hmm. Um, and then you kind of get into Rubber Soul and Revolver and you can hear them evolving again and the sort of that dead sound starts to happen and the Fairchild compressor starts to make everything sound squashed and and gorgeous <laughs> mm-hmm. um and the parts become more intricate. You think of, um, you know, think of uh, Saw Her Standing There and how, you know, uh, sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It's just a powerhouse, an absolute powerhouse. And then you go to a song like In My Life and it's such a musical, beautiful drum part that is adding so much to the song in terms of sort of melody and uh arrangement as opposed to just providing a real um solid backbeat um so you can hear you know his compositional approach to to the drums is is growing and growing and he's getting more experienced um and then you start to see things you know in peppers where the drum fills he's doing are really long and and um sort of almost meandering, but they're, they're so melodic. Uh, The one, you know, the fill that always, I always reference when I'm thinking about this is in with a little help from my friends. And it goes, um, the guitar line between the first and second verse goes, and then Ringo goes, boom, 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 boom. -boom." When, you know, if you're having a a few beers at a party, everyone will sing that drum part. It's part of the melody, you know, and what, It's amazing, isn't it? You know, how, I I just, I, I, my heart races thinking about it. I'm so, I'm so in love with it. There's a few songs
0: that when you play, uh, you know, if you don't do that drum part, no one misses it. But there are other songs that if you don't do that drum part, people are like, whoa, you're not playing the song.
1: Yes. I I think that's absolutely right. And I mean, the, uh, the sort of, um, argument well, not argument, the discussion on what makes a good drummer, I, you know, potentially that's a, that's a strong candidate, (laughs) isn't it? You know, if you can come up with a part that's so intrinsic to the song that, um, you, you know, the song doesn't work without it, then that's a, that's got to be noteworthy. That's yeah.
0: Yeah. I always find it fascinating uh, uh, as I learned more, so, you know, Ringo was was brought in to replace Pete Best and he yeah. was like, Okay, guys, you don't know this guy, but he he's a session drummer, he's you know, he's he's doing great. So he, he came in as like the ringer, the strong, experienced musician early on, and you hear mm-hmm. it in his facility, in his hands, uh, early on, and then as you, as you were talking about, just the progression of the band, which is insane how much... It, it, people were like, oh, the Beatles, they must have been around for like 20 years because of all this <laughs> progression and sound, and it's not. It was so short-lived. And then when touring stopped, there was less playing, and I mean, granted... You know, Paul lived and breathed in the studio, but Ringo didn't. I mean, you know, it, no. m- my understanding. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, 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 as a drummer, thinking about what it was like to be Ringo during that time, to be a, a busy full time drummer, and then and then joining this amazing band, and then playing live all the time, and then the studio back to back, making tons of records, and then it just slowed down, slowed down. I mean, there was was that time when he was like, I. You know, later, he's like, I, I suck. I, I quit. I'm not, I'm not. you know, and I think Paul had to go to his house and said, no, you're our drummer. You, you can't quit. Because mm-hmm. he was just, he's like, I just can't play anymore. And you hear him slow down, chops-wise, you know, at a facility compared to when he first joined the band. But you, in some ways, it's almost like a Venn diagram of as he plays less, there's more music that comes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's more mature for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's an interesting that, you know, it is really interesting. And, uh, he, I think Paul particularly could be extremely demanding of, of Ringo in terms of parts, you know, uh, Paul plays, you just released his new album, Paul McCartney three. And, mm-hmm. um, he's playing everything on it. And, you know, I, I get tired of people telling me that Paul McCartney is not a good drummer. He's a he's a fantastic drummer, and <laughs> yeah. um, he's a, f- a fantastic musician. And he knows what he wants for his songs. And I can imagine being Ringo in the studio. I think Ringo's quite. I mean, I I don't obviously I don't know. I'm just sort of you speculate, but seems an, a fairly amenable guy. You know, he'll just get on with it and mm-hmm. and do what he's told. Mm-hmm. But there's. You know, there's. It's not without consequences, and if that's in terms of him having doubts of it on his ability, um, it's. It is interesting. And there's that, that sort of. A, I think it's a quote where he said, um, "Perhaps during uh, Abbey Road sessions, that's the that's the album that he learnt to play chess." <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, because he just wasn't doing anything.
0: <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Um, yeah, it's cool, and it Yeah, I think that. I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I, I think his playing does mature an awful lot, and it 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 matures in its technical facility as well. I, I mean, it might not be playing; mm-hmm. he might not be playing as fast as he does on okay. the on the first albums, mm-hmm. but you can hear. So obviously, one of the the sort of well known facts about Ringo is his being left handed, and that's how he gets those sort of upside yeah. down sound, sounding fills. Yeah. So in the early albums, a a lot or. Potentially, all of his fills would end on a crotchet, so a quarter note. And that meant that he, because he's finishing on his um right hand because of the way that he goes around the kit, and that he had to get his right hand back round to hit that, to go to the hi hats. So he had to have time to do that. You know how we, we take it for granted that we go right, left, right, left, right, left, and then we're back on the hi hat. Mm-hmm. Um, he would go left, right, left, right, left, right, and then have to have enough time to get that right back to the hi-hat again. <laughs> um and then you can hear later on as as he as he matures, yeah. he's clearly playing right-handed at times because that roll off that we take for granted as right handed drummers or left handed drummers playing left handed kits, um he's he's able to do that. Um, which I think, you know, anyone who's tried to play you know Ringo's patterns leading with the left hand it's really hard to do um and so for him the equivalent was the other way around you know he's having to lead with his right hand at times and you can hear him doing that later on so I think that I would argue that his his facility is greater and that potentially with with greater facility you feel the need to play less because you know you're you know, he's becoming musically more mature as well and, and feels like he just wants to contribute to the song in a musical way as opposed to that sort of driving force. Yeah, yeah. No, well put. I love
0: that. I love that. Uh, and this might go inside with this question I have is, is are there any misconceptions about Ringo that are often talked about but uh, need to be cleared up?
1: <laughs> the, the, the one I see time and time again is that Ringo's time is poor and, you know, I, I see it, I have a nasty habit of reading YouTube comments. <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I'm transcribing my the the um, the kit parts for the records, especially the later albums, they're, all of the isolated drums are all on YouTube. I, I mean, I'd go and check them out. I would urge people to check them out. They're amazing. Um, and you can obviously hear crystal clear what he's playing. Yeah. And I see some of the comments underneath and people telling me that his time is inconsistent or... That, you know, that kind of thing. And that's just not the case. You you think how many of those records are spliced together. Um, you know, they might record, especially in the early albums, they might record, I don't know, 10 takes of a song. Yeah. And then choose the best chorus or the best verse or have to do an edit, you know, proper tape edit with scissors and things. Right, right, <laughs> um, right. You know, which we, we all take this for granted now on, on our DAWs. <laughs> no doubt. And, you uh, you know that you, I uh, you know there's a there's a couple of like major clanging edits in in the Beatles stuff, but most of them you wouldn't even know they're there. And you know, it, I challenge anyone to do ten takes of a track in the studio without a metronome and be able to splice the tracks together. You know, if if Ringo's time's impeccable, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. Mm-hmm. And there are occasions where he does speed up. And slow down throughout a song i mean a great example of that is i feel fine that we've already talked about mm-hmm. um you know the uh the sort of main latin style groove of the verses is quite a bit slower actually than the um uh sort of bridge section if you like it's not really a chorus in that song and um, but where he goes to the hats and he plays a sort of more driving beat um the the Latiny groove is a lot slower and he speeds up. I think it's by about ten BPM. I, I clocked it at. Wow. And yeah, but this is where it comes back to being a song drummer. You know, he's not thinking about oh, I must keep consistent time all the time. It's mm-hmm. just that section mm-hmm. needs to be a different. There's no he's, he, there's no thought going into it. It's got to be faster. So he's just playing it faster. Yeah. <laughs> um. And that happens in a, in plenty of other songs too. Um being a song drummer isn't just about playing a part that's right. It's, you know, if you, if you have to slow down and speed up, that's fine. You know, that that's absolutely fine. You know, we're, we're human after all, you know, yeah. we're not, we get it drilled into us as drummers that we've got to be metronomically perfect all the time. And, um, you know, there are, obviously it's a, it's an important, uh, attribute to have as a drummer, but it's not, you know it's not something to live or die by you know yeah
0: no i think it's really important especially these days to keep that in mind yeah um, yeah and that skill set to be able to provide something that's great for the song uh can get lost in the noise of you have to do this and you have to do that yeah
1: i'm seeing it a lot with with track sign being sent um that there is it's certainly uh, really recently there's becoming a bit of a trend for people sending me metronome maps um, tempo maps of songs um, where they've just played it on acoustic guitar or something and then mapped the tempo out from there mm-hmm. um, or there's no click at all just playing along to to uh, you know just whatever they whatever they've worked with and people are becoming uh, you know it's quite an important thing I, I saw it on a uh, one of these forums on Facebook recently somebody asking about how you know when you're doing remote recording how tight to the click do you have to play and you know, obviously, you have to be able to play tight to the click. It can't be out of time. You know, in inverted, in inverted commas, but it's not something that needs to be agonised over. And I, I worry less about it. Um, the sort of the more I'm doing it, because I think you know, if a song needs to be laid back, it needs to be laid back. And sometimes I'll just switch the click off, and I'm not interested into as to how I line up with the with the grid because it sounds right with the song. Sure, sure. You know, and Ringo is is your sort of um, you know bringing it back round to the the subject. That's the um, that's the important part. So what people are, are misconstruing as poor playing is actually him contributing to the song in in the way that he knows how.
0: Well, it, it it's it's amazing. It, it's great. And and while I have you here, I have a question. I have another question about Ringo. How, yeah. does, how does the intro to Drive My Car go?
1: <laughs> you would not believe the amount of um the amount of uh, car journeys where i've discussed this with we've, we've seasoned beatles impersonators and we've we've counted it and clapped and and the conversations have got like heated
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i think i got fired from a gig for like arguing with the band leader about like where the where the drums come in relationship to the guitar leg like, and how to count it in
1: Okay. Do you, do you want me to tell you how I
0: think it is? Yeah. See if see if we can do an audio of this. Uh, yeah. yeah so, I'm curious.
1: Hold, so hold on. This isn't. I. I mean. I am. I am. A hundred percent confident that this. It's not even what I think it is. This is what it is. Okay. And I. I yeah. You know, I. I am. Um, you know. I, I'll welcome. I'll welcome input from everybody else. <laughs> but I'm confident that this is it. So it goes. Um. One, two, three, four. ba 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 And then you're in. So the tom fill yeah. starts on beat three. Okay, so da da Yeah. Oh. Like that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, so there there isn't if you work backwards, there's no option but the tom fill has to start on beat three. Yeah. So that means that the guitar lick has to start on the end of one. Yeah. So one, two, two three, three, four. Ba-
0: wait, wait. So you say the guitar starts on the end of one, two, yes. three, four, one. Uh, da, oh, okay.
1: no, sorry. The end of four. The end of, of four. four. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My bad.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. I I. mean, <clears throat> it's been years since, uh, since I, but, but I think that's where I was working my way from was backwards. And it's like, but this is. Da, 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 boom and then I'm there's one it's like unless the unless the downbeat is someplace else if that's where one is then the then the drum fill starts on three and then we kind of worked our way back i don't remember but
1: that's great it's one of the uh, it's one of the little bits in the guitar line i think it's the ba, da, ba, da, ba, bam, that note that's the one that that everybody thinks is that sort of confuse every confuses mm-hmm, everyone mm-hmm. um I mean to be honest when I first learnt drive my car I didn't I didn't work I think I might have worked that out and then you could very quickly just forget it and you just hear the the line mm-hmm, um, and mm-hmm. you know where to come in on the guitar line mm-hmm. and the thing that prompted the discussion was for some reason we were experimenting with playing that to a click and I can't remember why maybe that maybe we had the keys on track for a gig or something like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. um and that meant that I had to count the song off. So the guy that plays George in the band, we, we had to have this discussion where I go one, two, three, four, and he knows where to start. And that's that's when it all broke down. And it was like, no, it's the and of four. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was hearing it completely differently. And and he's been you know he'd been doing it Beatles stuff for ten years at that point. Um, and had to completely turn upside down the way he thought about it. And, I mean, we ended up abandoning it because it's just, it's not, once you've got it ingrained in your head, it's so hard to let go of. <laughs> that, that in the intro to Rock and Roll by Zeppelin,
0: you know, like once you figure it out, <laughs> it's there. Or there's, you know, different ways to think about it that gets you to there. But then you just don't know when you're in that live situation if everyone else is on board with you
1: exactly oh, you know, so The other the, the other one that breaks down all the time is a uh, um here comes the sun <laughs> mm. that you know the, the middle section of that song mm-hmm. um you know I, I occasionally uh when i'm playing in sort of wedding bands and things um they'll get you get asked to do it as a first dance and um you know, obviously I know that song inside out, but you know, guys who, who don't play that song three times a week, it's, it's confusing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, and yes, you have to kind of adjust.
0: Either. You're like, well, I'm kind of the expert here, but, uh, you can't just uh strong arm your way through it. If you want to make music, you know, depending on the
1: situation or friends <laughs> or
0: friends, right. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, so, so, so the last thing, um, I want to ask you about is uh, your podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, That um, I I, I I didn't know about, actually. Oh, cool. But um, I had a chance to uh, listen to a couple interviews and and discussions you've had. Uh, It's called That 60s Recording Podcast. Yeah. Um, Dude, lots of information, lots of history, uh, lots of relative information for recording and stuff like that. It's great.
1: It's, um, it's just another one of these, you know, I kind of run it in the same way that I run my Instagram, uh, in the sense that it's, it's kind of thought through, but it's a bit haphazard at the same time. And I, I didn't want it to be, you know, a slick, um, a slick thing, you know, it had to work for me, you know, I've got, I've got kids and I'm working, <laughs> you know, I had to be able to do it quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, I wanted it to be quite casual, and, uh, so, you know, to be honest, one of the things that inspired me and was, I was quite, in, um, wanting to, to do it in the, in the style that I, it is in is this podcast, because I love oh. these, these relaxed conversations oh, that great. you guys yeah. have. Thank you.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And the, just the, the sort of it, the, the conversations can be quite sporadic at times. And I, I like that. And that's exactly how it is on this podcast, isn't it? You know, it's just, just a chat. Well, I, that, that's, that's,
0: that's our hope. And, and I, I feel like I meet that goal when I have all these like nice notes and then I don't even touch them because <laughs> yeah. the chat has
1: dominated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. And I, I have that same feeling now, Yeah, um, you know, I, I will write maybe a page or two of notes for each person. And, you know, obviously the first few times I did it, it was, um, I was sort of, uh, reading my notes verbatim and then uh you know gradually you get more confident in your your ability to hold a conversation <laughs> yeah. um, and you, you sort of b- begin to trust yourself um yeah I mean I just thought uh that when lockdown started it was a good opportunity to start getting in touch with some people um involved in sort of 60s mentality of recording I'm, I wouldn't say that the podcast is strictly all about 60s recording there's a lot of modern engineers that I speak to and producers um who have a particular mentality about recording um that I personally think is quite accessible um and gets better results um but we can we can talk about that in a in a second if you want to (laughs) um but then i i just thought there'd be some bigger names um who were involved in in sort of great recordings who were just sat at home like we all are Mm -hmm. and um, Mm then you know it's a good opportunity to try and get some and the first i sent out a uh i don't know maybe five or six emails one evening um and the first one to come back to me was ken scott who helped engineer um lots of the later beatles albums and I was astounded that he would even contemplate talking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I record, that was the first podcast I ever recorded just with Ken Scott, for goodness sake. I'm, yeah, jumping I, in. Know, I was, yeah, I was bricking it completely bricking it. I, you know, I can hear, I can hear it in my voice. I was wobbly <laughs> cause I was so nervous. <laughs> um, and then I was nervous to put it out, you know, and then I put it out there and I got a few emails from people saying, you know, ah, oh, you know, I I take all of this with a pinch of salt, but that's potentially the best Ken Scott interview I've ever heard. And I just thought, yeah. And it gave me that little lift of confidence that I'm not, not too bad at this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. And, and it's amazing how generous people are with their time and, and you can sense it in their passion about what, what they do, what they've done. Um, Yeah. Man, it's that, I'm so glad it. you're doing it and it's so fun and you learn so much.
1: Oh it's it's I mean, as much as anything, it is a networking tool, isn't it? And yeah. um I mean not in the not in the sort of I'm gonna get work from these people. Yeah. But it's just nice to chat to to get knowledge and learn from what these guys have got to offer. Um and you know, they've all they've all got a reason why they're noteworthy. Um, engineers or producers or whatever topic we're discussing that day, and they've all got such a um, an interesting insight into to the world that, of recording and and um, yeah, I really I really enjoy it, um, I, and I, I learn an awful lot. I was going to say, has there been anything like
0: any of these aha moments when you're done with an interview and 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 now you're employing that? technique or whatever in your own studio space
1: i think the there's, there's a bit of a uh, a thread that is continuous through all the conversations um that i think is it's kind of an important takeaway for potentially people listening to this but it's the thing that i take away most from it is the sort of simplicity side of it um excuse me that we don't need you know don't need a ton of plugins and or any of that kind of stuff it's it's get the you know get the source right put the microphone in a in a decent place and play it well and that's 90% of the work done for you Um, and you know listening to Ken Scott or um, Malcolm Toft was one of the interviews that I enjoyed uh, a lot and there's um, Andy Reid uh, a, re- a recording engineer from Michigan that I particularly enjoyed you know, all of these guys have got the same approach of um high quality input and very simple on the back end mm. and you know i think um particularly the early days of the studio for me it's bamboozling um that's such an english word isn't it bamboozling <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is—it's—it's—it's it's, um, is bewildering. Like searching through YouTube on how to do certain things, and you know, this is the only way to EQ your bass drum. You know what those videos and actually does your bass drum need much EQ or does it just need a little bit? <laughs> it, does your bass drum sound right? Is your mic in the right place? And uh, hearing these, you know, Ken Scott, who's worked with the the Beatles and David Bowie and all these incredible people simplify the recording process is so inspiring that's that's what I take away from it the most a big thing for me uh, at one point was making sure that what i was giving people was as good as anything else anybody's giving people right right um so i made sure that i bought sample packs from drummers that i like um i any opportunity to download some drum stems from somebody of who's noteworthy i t- i took it even if it cost money mm. cuz i want to I want to line, you know. I've done this. I've lined my stems up with um, stems from well-known, well-regarded studios in the US, and want to make sure that mine stand up to it. Because mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, um, you know, ultimately, in this world, as as a sort of sky high as it sounds, you know, we're compete Ugh, competing is a horrid word, but we're we're all we're all working together. You know, I. I want the same gigs that drummers who are doing bigger gigs <laughs> than me have got, you know, yeah. we all want, we're all want. you know, we're all hustling for the same work. Yeah. Um, so why, you know, I say this to, to sort of students I've had, I have one, one drum student at the moment. Um, and, uh, he's particularly good as I enjoy teaching him and, you know, say it to him that why not aim to, to get that sound, you know, uh, I was big into Gad. I'm still big into Gad. And, you know, when who isn't big into Gad? Right, and, right. You know, when you play his transcriptions and you learn his style, why not aim to be as good as him at it? You know, you, you're probably not going to be because only Gad is Gad. But why, you know, he's just a human, isn't he? You know, he's a very gifted human, but he's yeah. a human being after all. Yeah. And there's no reason why you can't play the same as that. Do you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, it, right, and, and and then in addition to that, I remember like in school, uh, you know, in college, we were seniors, and and our music teachers, we were getting senioritis, and and uh, just not really working as hard as we should have, and and uh, our our teachers, who were gifted musicians and playing in the world and gigging and doing all the things, they said, guys, get your shit together because. When you're out of here, we're your competition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and we're like, "Oops, but well, we better, yeah, better get on this.
1: That's it. It's completely true. It's you know, it's completely true, and you've got to make sure that you you work damn hard. you know, i yeah, I spend, yeah. um you know I, I spend a lot of time making sure that my the artists that I work with are as happy as they can be. There's nothing. There's no request too small um, for them. And, you know, I completely, hopefully, sort of try try to be really um, accommodating in, in what I provide for them. And I want to make sure that every every sound I get out of the studio is, is, is as high quality as I can get it. Mm-hmm. And every every drum hit is right. You know, I, I, I don't want to send anything out that's subpar. and. You know, it, whenever somebody comes back to me and I've made an error, obviously I'll I'll rectify it, but it, it's mortifying, and I learn from that and make sure that that never happens again. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think there's there's just no there's some things in in sort of in in your life you can control, and the the amount that you work at something is one of the things that you've got control over, isn't it? You know.
0: Well, that that's the truth, and and <laughs> man. That's why I got these practice symbols so I could keep playing longer than my family can stand it. Uh, <laughs> and you learn all these things and you and one of my favorite kind of British things is is when people say it's time to crack on. Uh, crack, if, on yeah. crack on, yeah. Just crack on. That's part of become part of my lexicon these days. <laughs> and, and you know the the one of the, the last things I'll say is is you find something that you love and you commit yourself to it because you talk about you have mouths to feed, but you're also setting an example, setting an example as a parent, as a father, to be like, if if you want to do something in life and you're passionate about this, guess what, kids? You can do it. Yeah. And because, uh, look, I work really hard at this and I'm making it work um, because I'm putting the time and and doing it. Yeah. So there's that on top of all that, you know.
1: That's a that's a real big one. I mean, obviously, my my eldest is is four, and when I can remember, um, sort of vividly when she was born, having that exact thought. Yeah. You know, I I want when she's old enough to be aware of what I do for a living, I want her to to see me doing what I I want to see. I want her to see me smiling. I don't want her to ever see me being miserable about having to work, um, and. I want to inspire her to know that exact same thing I was talking about with the gad thing. You know, she, she can be someone special. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's got the potential to be someone special. You've, well, everybody is someone special. I mean, everyone's got the potential to achieve something special. Um, I think it's about tapping into what you love the most, finding out what it is that makes, what's the sort of thing that, that makes your heart race. You know, when I talk about Ringo and, and drum recording and that kind of stuff, my heart gets faster and my the timbre of my voice gets higher. And you know, I I'm so passionate about it. You know, yeah. I'm grinning now talking to you. am yeah. like grinning yeah. from ear to ear. Yeah. Um, what is it? What are, what what is it that you you know that one likes about that stuff? You know, that what is the thing that makes you do that? And that's and then uh, you know, and that's the kind of I want my kids to see me being passionate and, um, but then at the same time being observant about the way that I'm doing things in, in, if you like it, not just, you know, not just idly working really hard, you know, working hard in a very specific way and um, always learning and making sure that, um, I'm sort of analyzing what I'm doing and, and taking the right steps to get to, to where I want to be essentially. Man, that's that's to me is
0: the biggest takeaway from this conversation. I don't know if I've ever done this in an interview, but I've, uh, but if 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 it could be kind of summed up in one way, is is you have a very specific way to achieve goals, like be intentional about your work, and uh, there's just numerous examples uh, that you, people can find that. You you live that, man. Um, I can already tell in this conversation, but even before that, it's like you just have this very intentional, like, I want to do this, and here's how I'm going to go about it, I'm going to find a system that works, not only that works, but also that I enjoy so that there's consistency, and man, consistency, boy, that's that's a big key component to success.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I appreciate you saying that. I, uh, you know, I just... I just love it. Do you know know what? The the bottom line is I just love doing what I I do and I love working hard and I, I I love reading and learning and I love chatting to people. (laughs) I love having phone conversations with artists and, um, you know i i it makes me when you get that email back from somebody that's like mate you've smashed this yeah, it yeah, yeah. M- just makes my day it makes yeah. me so happy to to make people's records it's living you man know? it's living yeah yeah it's great yeah but, uh, but, you know
0: well joe this has been a blast man i, I so appreciate your time and um it it's it's I, I just feel like it adds to my my knowledge and and continued love of Ringo and, and all the things and, and, and the possibilities of what can be done through your example is great.
1: Oh, thank you. I mean, thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I think, um, I mean, it may be raking over the things I've said before, but uh, you know, essentially I'm, you know, I've, I have a, a modest social media following, you know, extremely modest. And, you, you know, I'm just a person, you know, we're just mm-hmm. a guy in a house in, in England who made a decision to do what I'm doing. You yeah, know, it's not, yeah. um, that's what I said it in the very first episode of my podcast, I, I made it really clear to everybody who was listening that, hmm. you know, if you want to send me an email, just send me an email, you know, I'll get back to you. I'm just a guy at the end of a laptop, right, right, <laughs> um, right. you know, and I made, I made that decision and you know, that's, I'm really pleased that you've, you've recognized that in my instagram because that's exactly what i want and hopefully people listening to this will um will feel the same and not hesitate to to speak to me if they want to and also feel empowered and inspired to to just do it themselves exactly
0: exactly yeah you that's that's it man feel inspired it's like if you are at home if you wherever you are whatever you're doing if you have a dream if you have a goal there's there's a way to to get to it there's just uh yeah, yeah, for sure. But, dude, um, it's evening for you, it's uh, <laughs> afternoon for me. But thanks again for your time and, and information, man. This has been a total blast.
1: Oh, thank you, man. I've i really enjoyed it. It's um, it's really nice to speak to you. And, and again, like I'm just completely honored <laughs> to to be on the on the podcast. Like it's it's one of those little childhood things where you 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 listen to these podcasts and. Just the the thought of being on it is is a, another level. So I, I really appreciate you having me. Well, we appreciate having you, dude. It was it was it's was great. Yeah, well, keep keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep enjoying it. It's um, Thanks. I think it's really important what you're doing, and uh, I, it you know, sort of bringing real stories <laughs> to people It is inspiring. Thank you, thank you, Joe. Well, we'll be in touch,
0: and you have a great evening, man. Thanks very much. I'll uh, I'll speak to you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Cheers, man. Bye bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Joe Montague. Uh, Please go check out his podcast, That 60s Recording Podcast, as well as his website. It's really fun to kind of poke around, uh, check out some of the tracks that he's done for other artists, as well as uh, the drum tracks alone of Ringo's tracks. So once again, for this month of March, I am going to continue to be your host. And next week, I will bring you my guest, Nashville Session drummer, Dan Needham. Uh, Dan is an amazing drummer. He has worked with people like uh, Michael McDonald, Vanessa Williams, Amy Grant, Katie Oslin, as well as many other gospel artists. But uh, Dan is a a very prolific musician, and I'm I'm very excited to bring that interview to you next week. So next week is Dan Needham. But for now, uh, everyone stay safe. Here's to a much better year here in 2021. Thanks so much for listening and hope to see you around. Bye-bye.